We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast welcome back to another episode of the pack a day podcast you can get all your pack a day updates by following us on twitter at pack a day podcast and remember you can always subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, google play TuneIn, stitcher or spotify and of course you can always check us out over at cheeseheadtv.com I'm Kyle Fellows, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. We're back for another Friday edition of your favorite podcast. Andrew, how are you this week? Doing good. Uh, you know, it's it's Darkness Retreat Watch Week, <laughs> and so we are just waiting to see what yes. emerges from said darkness um, and for a decision on Aaron Rodgers, which we know is going to determine a whole heck of a lot of what the Green Bay Packers and actually uh, several other organizations around the NFL do this offseason. So just waiting to get that kickoff. We got to see the Super Bowl this week. Uh, got got some coaching hiring going on. Yeah. So, yeah, lot, lots of things in the news. Absolutely. I mean, and it is we're in a spot where it's both incredibly annoying and incredibly fascinating <laughs> to, like, watch this Rodgers thing on unravel and you know reveal itself it's so fun like on twitter like people are putting together calendars to try to speculate of when he's gonna you know emerge from the darkness to tell us 
you know, where he's headed, people making jokes about, you know, how he's going to go on Pat McAfee and cover the camera, you know, on the, <laughs> just so it looks like he's in the dark. Just, I mean, it's just been crazy, but I mean, we are probably now within the window of about two weeks where the Packers would certainly like to know as we approach the new league year, what Rogers is going to be up to, but um, that show will come, right? That may be us. Please don't be us. Someone else can take that one when Rogers drops. It will happen on a Thursday afternoon, though, and we will graciously talk about it. But we're not there yet, so we've got some other fun stuff for uh, the listeners today, some great stuff you've put together. And then stick around for the end, because I think Andrew and I are going to have a rare fight, a uh, disagreement about something that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we don't disagree often, but when we do, fists are flying. It's going to be Anyways. <laughs> If you if you missed our show the last two weeks, there has been a project that's kind of a personal passion project for me that I wanted to do for at least a couple of years and just never quite had time to do it. So I thought this could be an interesting topic for a few shows. And this is show three of three. And that is, where do the best players at each position actually get drafted? There's some assumptions regarding this question, but I wanted to see if there was some actual evidence out there. So a lot of this depends on how you define great players. For me, I settled on all pro. So I used Associated Press, Pro Football Writers of a uh, Pro Football Writer Association, <laughs> and Sporting News, who each put out a different all pro team each mm. season. They both have first and second teams. Sometimes the positions don't align perfectly, but I, I did my best to combine those. Um, and what I looked at were the All-Pro teams from 2013 to 2022 as my sample, so that gave us 10 years worth of data. That's why you won't necessarily see even numbers because in any given year, there could be a different selection for each organization and they could have like three wide receivers on the first team, three wide receivers on the second team. There's that's six players. But then if, you know, uh, PFWA has a different three of those six, then Sporting News suddenly you have nine. And so, you know, the numbers can get a little inflated at times when when there's not a lot of consensus. Last week, we took a look at offensive tackle, offensive guard, center, uh, defensive line slash defensive tackle, and then edge. And we discovered that if you want an elite tackle, edge, or defensive lineman, you almost always have to take them in the first round. Guards and centers are heavily leaning towards the first or third rounds. So my hope is this activity is going to answer the question, do we need to invest a premium pick to get a great player at position X? Yeah, it's been a really interesting exercise so far. And the answer to that question, I think we can say is no, you don't have to invest premium draft capital to land an elite player. You can find guys on day two, on even day three, that end up becoming all pros. But I think it's been fascinating to see that for most of the positions that we've covered so far, the odds are so much greater when you take a player earlier in the draft. Uh, but we're going to see if that trend continues today with that conversation around linebackers, corners, and safeties to wrap this up. Yeah, and I'm going to kick it off with linebackers, which was a weird position. This was actually really frustrating for me to go through because at some point, I, I think it was around 2015, they started to combine inside and outside linebacker, which to me doesn't make any sense. I would <laughs> so think they annoying. would go the other way. Right. That like maybe at some point they would have divided those, but instead they combined them. And so these numbers are, in fairness, a little distorted because somebody like Chandler Jones, who of all people is not an off-ball linebacker, he showed up on the list twice, right? And you get players like Von Miller, TJ Watt, et cetera, sure. um, that are definitely not off-ball linebackers. But just because of the way these teams were merged, um, that's the way it, it showed up. But 
Anyways, 38 of 68 of the all pros in the last 10 years were drafted in the first round. 14 in the second, 9 in the third, 1 in the fourth, 3 in the fifth, and 3 UDFA. So nearly 90% of the all pro nods are going to go to the first through third rounders. So even though the edge guys are distorting that number a bit, right? Like all the edge guys I mentioned that are included in this all first round picks. But still, you have guys like Luke Keekley, Roquan Smith, et cetera, the list goes on, that are dominating the position. So you may be able to get a Fred Warner in the third round. But players with that unique athleticism to be elite linebackers just straight up are not falling into day three. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, obviously, the Packers broke the mold and took a linebacker in Quay Walker in the first round last year, something I really don't think anyone was expecting. If there's anyone who predicted that, I would love to know. It just doesn't seem like something that was on the radar at all for Packers fans. But it seems like Brian Gutekunst wanted a chance at that elite-level player in the middle of the defense, and so he took that swing in the first round. Uh, He decided that that might require a pivot from previous drafting traditions there in Green Bay. Over the years, The Packers found guys like Blake Martinez in the later rounds of the draft. And Blake was a great player for the Packers. But even when they hit on a player like Martinez, he's not going to be an all-pro. He just doesn't have the athleticism or the elite skill set for that. He's a tackling machine, but he's a limited player, right? So, again, it looks like if you want to add an elite linebacker, you better be willing to invest that premium draft capital, a first-round pick, second-round pick, maybe a third-round pick if you're pushing it, but you got to take one early. Yeah, and I think I think you bring up a fair point, and, and that's one of the weaknesses of an activity like this is, of course, teams aren't going to have elite players at every position. You have to fill your roster out, um, and you're, you're trying to do that with at least good starters. And we can say Blake, Blake Martinez at his prime was a good starter, mm. You can disagree yeah. with me on that if you want. You can say he's average, yeah, whatever. Good. But he was solid. He was a solid NFL starting linebacker. And when you can get those kind of players later in the draft, it does help offset it. But, but you have to have elite players to win mm-hmm. in this league. We, we yeah. saw it on Sunday. Um, and so I, I think, you know, this activity just kind of shows, like, where are you going to get those elite players? And then you you almost start to feel fortunate when we talk about a position like tackle where it's almost unheard of to get an elite tackle outside of the first or second round. And the Packers are sitting there with David Bakhtiari, right? Yeah, the yeah, exception yeah. to the rule. Yeah, so absolutely. It, it, it does make you value those a little bit more. So anyways, the next position is cornerback. Um, and 25 of the 44 all pro selections came um, in the first round from cornerbacks. Seven, in the second round, none in the third, one in the fourth, five in the fifth, and then six UDFAs. So this is really kind of a weird result. 73% are taken in the first two rounds. That's kind of what we would expect cornerbacks a premium position. But 13.6% are UDFAs. So corner, right? We talk about corner as a premium position in the draft. But there are some players available later who hit. This could be a result of the newly found value of slot corners, right? We know that NFL teams don't necessarily seem to value that slot corner really high from a draft capital perspective, yet they play a pretty big role. So you think about a guy like Chris Harris Jr., who was UDFA, turned into the best slot corner in the league. 
Another interesting phenomenon is that elite corners typically don't stay elite for long. And that doesn't have anything to do with the stats that I'm pulling up. But when I was looking across 10 years of all pros, they changed very quickly. Yeah, that last point is really interesting to me, Andrew. When you think about that, we always talk about how short the shelf life is on running backs, right? We've we've talked about that. Aaron Jones and guys like Derrick Henry are the exception to the rule, right? That play at 27, 28, 29 at at that age and at a high level. But we rarely talk about this with corners, right? Um, But guys like Marlon Humphrey, Jair Alexander, um, who are the other guys, you know, the, the elites of the NFL, Trey White, Marshawn Lattimore, Jalen Ramsey, all those guys are young players. I think they're all like 28 years old or younger. Elite cornerback play occurs in your 20s in the NFL. So that's really interesting. That just means that there's more rotation at the top, like you said, and young players crack into that elite territory a little bit more quickly. But uh, that's just kind of a side note, something really interesting there. Um, What's the safety position look like when you contrast it with corners? I'm just curious. Yeah, so safety, 24 of the 47 All-Pro selections came from first-round picks. Seven in the second, eight in the third, two in the fourth, five in the fifth, one in the seventh. So 51% of All-Pro safeties are drafted in the first round. Um, So that's not, you know, it's not as big a number as we've seen, but it's also not a small number, over half. That's a pretty, you know, I would say a lower number than the rest of the studies. So is only one less AP safety drafted in rounds two through seven as there is in the first. I said that horribly, but what I meant was (laughs) there's only one less Mm -hmm. in rounds two through seven as there were in the first, right? A pretty equal margin, 51%, 49%. So the hit rate is pretty widely distributed. Yeah, again, a lot of elite safeties were taken in that first round, but that's what you'd expect when you spend premium draft assets on on safety, right? But it does look like you can get a safety of impact later in the draft. Um, these guys aren't all pros, but guys like Adrian Amos was a fifth-round pick. Morgan Burnett was a third-rounder. Even Nick Collins, who was an all-pro player, was a second-round pick. So even within the Packers organization, you can see how you can wait just a little bit more maybe at the safety position for those impact players than you can maybe some of these other positions we talked about. Yeah, so I decided to not include kickers and punters. Uh, (laughs) Thank me for that once we're not recording. But um, I did want to go through, since we we made it through all the positions, offense and defense, and just talk specifically about what percentage of those all-pro players were drafted in the first round at each position. Because the Packers, of course, will be having at least one first-round pick, maybe more, who knows. And so you start to think, well, where do they invest those picks? Um, At quarterback around the league, 67% of the All-Pros were first-rounders. At running back, it's 38%. Wide receiver, 47%. Tight end, 21%. Offensive tackle, 65%. So we're starting to see those big numbers here. Quarterback, tackle. Guard was 45%. Center, 55%. And now we get into the biggest numbers. Defensive end slash edge, 73%. Defensive line slash defensive tackle, 73%. Linebacker was 56, cornerback 57, safety 51. So I think you made a really interesting point last week. The best way to get elite players is to draft as many times as you can as early as possible. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) But it's actually really poignant because 
even the best drafting teams are going to fare a lot better with more first round picks. If you want to get an elite player at quarterback, offense, tackle, edge, or defense line, you almost always have to invest a first round pick to get them. And so we obsess about these teams that are great at drafting in the middle rounds or great at drafting in day three. And those things are very important. But if you want the most elite players, the teams that have elite talent at seemingly every position, right? Mm. Philadelphia Eagles, good example, right? Lots of talent all over the place. Normally they're hitting on high level picks or they're using assets, cap space, or draft capital to acquire those elite players. It certainly doesn't guarantee anything, but it is incredibly rare to get an all-pro caliber player at one of those positions later in the draft. Whereas you can find an elite player at running back, tight end, guard, center, linebacker, cornerback, or safety later on. Mm. Statistically speaking, it just makes sense when all things are equal to be investing your first round picks in quarterback tackle edge or defensive line. Mm. Yeah. So I thought that's really interesting. I thought cornerback was really interesting at the end of this exercise because I've kind of felt like corner is the position that's in no man's land to me, right? It's maybe not, if you look at the statistics here, at least it's not a premium position in that way, or at least it's not in the same premium position group as quarterback edge and offensive tackle and defensive line yet corner is a super coveted position they go high every single draft every single year and if we expand this research Andrew to great players not just elite players I think that there would be more support for taking corners really really early but for me I think just like you said it sets apart those groups of quarterback offensive tackle edge pass rushing defensive linemen as the true premium positions, even maybe ahead of corner, you want to draft those positions early and often because those are the guys who hit and they hit big. So really interesting conversation here. Lots to think about. I think that this is kind of a seed conversation, something that you just kind of want to keep mulling over and think about if you're a draft nerd, uh, where do you want to spend your resources? But yeah, I, I I would you you just inspired me into something. We We won't have time to do this before the draft. Maybe it's a project for that <laughs> in-between time, or sure. maybe it's a project for next off-season. Um, but it would be really interesting to go back and redo this. And then, like, I, I, I like what you said about focusing on the great players, but I'd also like to focus on, like, the quote-unquote bus, mm. right? And we can, we can define that however yeah, we want, yeah, but to yeah. see, like... Are these positions just getting drafted so frequently that you're getting like really high variance? You're getting yeah. the elite all pro players and you're also getting guys that are out of the league in two seasons or, um, you know, is is that not the case? Maybe the bus rates are, are much higher at the positions that we aren't seeing all pros. Right. Like maybe that's the reason because the players who get drafted high turn out to be not that good. I don't know. Yeah, yeah maybe. I, so basically we've invited our listeners into a process that's incomplete, but it's it's a fun one, just an exercise, just to see how is the NFL built, how is your team built, and maybe how should your team be built if, if you follow the data and these kinds of things. So, uh, yeah, what you got? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, just one last thing. If if people want to participate in an activity like this, it's not annoying at all. Uh, it, it just requires you to look up each All-Pro team individually and then try <laughs> to remember what round Jarrah's bird was drafted in. <laughs> this, do Google not... is your friend, but man, I I did a whole heck of a lot of legwork on this Jeez. one. I remember how badly I wanted Jarius Bird to be a Packer when he was a free agent, and that obviously... How that ended so poorly, I do not know. But do you remember what what round was he drafted in? Do you know? Off the I, top of your head? If if my memory, I just looked this up, so I'm gonna be embarrassed. I don't know. I thought it was the third round. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was thinking Could somewhere. Be second. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking day somewhere two. on that day two, day three line. But anyway, not important. We hope you enjoyed that. Uh, kind of a cool exercise. Thank you, Andrew, for putting in all of the legwork and the sweat to get that done. Um. Okay, so what we're going to do next is Andrew and I, if, if you've listened to us for long enough, um, you don't listen to us because there's a lot of conflict on our show. A lot of the times we're on the same page. We like a lot of the same players. We see things the same way. We generally, outside of the running back position, we historically have had conflict about Aaron Jones in the past. Uh, but for the most part, we see things very, very similarly. Uh, but tonight, we're actually going to have a conversation that we know that we're going to disagree about. And I think it's an interesting one uh, because it's it's a premium position we've just discussed. And it's going to be one that's discussed as we lead up to the draft. We are going to get into one Will Levis, the quarterback from Kentucky, because we have very, very different opinions on this player. And I think we see each other's vantage points, but we just land in very different places. So this is going to be a fun one. Andrew, kick us off. Tell us about Will Levis. All right. So I'm just going to go straight to my scouting report. (laughs) And I feel like Will Levis... Did you say quarterback Kentucky? I, I believe listening. I did. I was I preparing so. my side of the argument like oh any my good gosh. politician would. No. Yeah, so I did. Levis has all the physical tools rolled into one package. He has elite arm strength. He's a great athlete. He can win with speed and he can win with trucking ability. Think Josh Allen running you over. He does struggle with getting the right touch on many of his throws. Even though his upper body mechanics are very tight and precise, his lower body at times can be a mess. And improved consistency there is going to be a necessity. You can you you see this with a lot of guys who have great arms. He just like 
he relies on his upper body way too much to get the ball there because he can. He's just physically able to do that, whereas other players wouldn't be able to. He does, in fairness, making your argument for you, have way too many turnovers. Mm. If he protects the ball better in the pocket and learns to look defenders off better, he could be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. That's the kind of talent we're talking about here. The risk or reward is going to be huge. Levis is also an older prospect. So, what I'm seeing here is a guy with, yes, a very low floor, but an incredibly high ceiling. And that intrigues me. Based on film alone, he's my quarterback one. Now, like at the end of the process, I fully expect Will to drop to QB2, maybe even QB3, because age is a factor in, in my method. And like I said, he's an older prospect. I really, really like the guy who can give you athleticism right away. Right? We, we saw Justin Fields can't even throw the ball but was a dynamic factor for the Bears offense. I think Will Levis, at a minimum, can be that right away. And he'll develop into a better passer as he goes if he gets the right coaching, right? Like, I don't want to keep saying Josh Allen over and over because that's, like, maybe grasping at straws a little bit. I, I think that's that's a long ways away yeah, from Levis. right. But Josh Allen was a long ways away from where he is now. Mm -hmm. And I think with the right coaching, if he can get the lower half of his body figured out and those mechanics fixed, I really think he can be one of those upper echelon quarterbacks. I do think his mid-level is somebody like Ryan Tannehill. Sure. And I think that's fine, right? Like, so if he doesn't reach anywhere near where his potential is, you get a serviceable quarterback, that's fine. There is also the bust factor, right? Like, he could be horrible. Um, and, and that's the risk you take with a prospect like this. And I, I think that's probably where you and I are going to see things a little differently. Yeah. Respectfully, you're an idiot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know I respect so much. Respectfully, you're probably right. No, no, no. no. I, I, I mean, what makes me pause is I know how thorough you are with your process and um, just how much work you put into this. So I know you've you've done the work. Uh, we just see this player very, very differently, and I'm totally joking. Um, Will Levis is going to be my quarterback four. And so you're at quarterback one right now. You've explained that might change. I don't expect that he will ascend from quarterback four just because of the factors that we know that will go into this process. Um, I haven't finished Bryce Young yet. He's the one of the the top four quarterbacks that I haven't finished yet. I feel confident that Levis will probably uh, be quarterback four, that, that Bryce Young will not be below him. But um, rather than yell at you for being crazy, I actually just want to start by listing why in three years we may be looking back and saying that you are right. Like you got this absolutely correct. Uh, there is a path here for Levis to become a star in the NFL. Like you said, uh, Andrew mentioned the physical tools, so I don't need to spend a, like, a lot of time there. He painted that picture pretty well. Um, he's got those in spades. But the things I just wanted to highlight here, if you don't want to watch or if you don't want to love Will Levis, don't watch his interviews because the dude is awesome. Like leadership for days. He's a competitor. He's going to put the work in. Players are going to want to play with him. Players are going to have his back. He's just that guy. So I made the mistake. You know that I love watching player interviews. I actually watched his interview before I watched his tape. So wanting then to go in and like his tape, I was then that much more disappointed because of the order. And I was like, oh, He's not the player on the field that, that I wanted him to be. But anyway, um, have you had a chance to, I, to 
I, I don't know. I, 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 no, I usually don't okay. do the interview deep dives. I rely on you to tell me if somebody <laughs> is, is a good character person or at least yeah. interesting in interviews or not. My one question was in the interviews, did they mention the mayonnaise and the coffee oh thing? Gosh. Cause I've heard so much about this, but yes. I have no clue why so, or. Yeah. That was my first exposure. Like, I don't know, three, four <laughs> months ago when, <laughs> yeah, no, that was the one clip I watched. No. Um, no, three or four months ago, I saw that pop up on Twitter, and I was like, "This guy's insane! Like, this is disgusting." So I was like, "Okay, he's he's a goofy guy, like whatever." So, th- but then I found I watched I think two other clips of him. One was a post game interview. I was just watching a post game, and then I tried to find like a more personal, like you know, unpack who you are. And my goodness, like most of the time, I'm like, "Okay, I'm scrubbing through the video, and I'm catching bits and pieces here just to get a flavor for who the person is." Because uh, obviously that shouldn't shape your evaluation like a ton. But I think the video was like 18 minutes long and I just wanted to watch the whole thing because he's just sharing his passion for the game and where he's come from and like what he's been through. It's just and his story is really, really interesting and compelling. So, I mean, the dude is just teams are going to fall in love. This guy is going to go in the top 10 picks. I After that exposure and knowing that they're going to sit with this guy at the combine, he's going to go in the top five. I really think someone is going to take him really, really early because of what you can let yourself believe about him as the face of your franchise and how he could reboot um, an entire organization. So all that to say, really big, you know, check in the box there. The other thing I want to mention here, injuries. The dude played with a foot injury, a finger injury, and shoulder injuries. I believe all this year, maybe one of those was in the year before, but what factor did those play in the inaccuracy and the way that he had to throw the ball? Uh, I just, you don't know the answer to that. And from the interviews, it doesn't seem like he's a guy who's going to blame, you know, his performance on those things. So we won't know the answer to that. And then the talent around him, I think has to be considered, right? Um, The Giants wide receiver that left Kentucky last year, Andrew um, Robinson, uh Wandale Robinson. Wandale. I, I couldn't get there. I was like, I don't know. Uh anyway, he left Kentucky and since then he just doesn't have a lot of other talent. So that's another thing that's a similarity to Josh Allen when he came out. Like they're like, who's he throwing the ball to? It, on film it looked like he had a lot of smaller gadget guys and you know he's just trying to distribute the ball to those guys. So I mean that might be a factor in that. And then something else I noted, he said in that interview he's had six offensive coordinators over the course of his college career. Obviously, he was up at Penn State for a while uh, before he ended up at Kentucky. So just a revolving door there from guys he's learning from and different systems. So, I mean, that's a huge reason why somebody with a little bit more uh, continuity uh, could be in an NFL offense and have some success. So I wanted to put those in your column of like reasons why this guy could totally put it together at the next level. But so here's, here's my reason why I just couldn't, quite buy-in fully. Uh, You talked about how he's a mobile player and there's that Josh Allen, he's going to run factor. He's absolutely an aggressive runner. He has no regard for his own body or his own health. Sometimes it's scary to see some things that he attempts, but I just didn't see the Josh Allen level of athleticism as a runner. The aggression is there for sure, but I just didn't quite get to that level. There were times that they designed runs for him, which was great, but there were other times that you just kind of wish that he would have stayed in the pocket, made his reads, and thrown the ball because it was 
there. He just bailed too quickly. And that, that could be like not trusting his offensive line, some of those kinds of things. Um, accuracy and touch throws is something I noticed. He just missed way too often. And I know some of the accuracy issues can be fixed with mechanics. You mentioned the lower body. Absolutely. Uh, but there's just a ton of errant throws where it's just kind of unexplainable why he missed that one. Um, too many for my liking uh, and too many to explain. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about trajectory. And this is something I haven't really mentioned a lot with other quarterbacks in the past, but it was obvious to me when watching him. He's just lasering everything. You mentioned he has the arm strength to do it. Um, but there are times where if he would have lofted the ball, it's probably a completion, but he just tries to bullet it to his receiver. And he, it, it just, I don't know, something maybe he needs to learn. But that's something that C.J. Stroud does really, really well. I think that there are a lot of holes in Stroud's game that make him maybe a, a higher floor prospect, but doesn't quite have the ceiling. But Stroud does a really nice job of, you know, discerning if he needs to put it with a lot of mustard on it or if he can kind of lay it up there for his receivers. So I wish that he did that a little bit better. Uh, Decision making, you mentioned, sometimes that's tied to accuracy. Sometimes it was just poor, poor judgment. Um, arm talent. Okay, this is really interesting to me because I went in expecting this guy just to to have a cannon, but I didn't see that necessarily. And I put that in my grade when when I put the number down. He has a good arm, and I think in that 10 to 15 yard, you know, area, those shorter passes, absolutely he gets it there in a hurry. But when he goes deep with the ball, there are two plays in particular that I thought of where his receiver's waiting on the ball a little bit and one where it's just kind of floating up there. I didn't see the same kind of, um, I don't know if velocity is the right word, when it came to the deep balls uh, that when I saw in the short game. So for me, I was a little bit underwhelmed when everyone was hyping him up as having this really, really strong arm. But the last thing, of course, is his age. I mean, he'll be 24 by the time training camp starts this fall, which for me was just like, Obviously, you're talking about how that's going to factor in later in your grade. But Josh Allen was really raw, right? But Josh Allen was also 21 when he entered the league. So that's almost three years of development time that's just he's behind in that game. So lots and lots of reasons to love this guy, lots of reasons to pull for him. But for me, there were just a lot of questions and a lot of things that I'm like, man, there's a lot that has to be rebuilt here before he might be able to get to a level where I'd feel comfortable taking him as early as he's probably going to go in the draft. You threw out Ryan Tannehill. For me, I saw a little bit more Carson Wentz than I saw like the trajectory to be someone like Josh Allen. So, um, And if Wentz doesn't have the crazy spiral that he had, then maybe, maybe it's a different conversation. But um, a really interesting player altogether. Yeah, I, I know you mentioned like some of the deep balls were tailing off. That that could be an arm strength issue. It also could be, you know, if his if his footwork's not set up properly, that's yeah, typically sure. where where quarterbacks are going to struggle with that. I just really hope, and and I haven't done any research on like who these guys are working with. That usually comes a little bit later in the process. I really hope he's working with somebody like Jordan Palmer. Yeah, um, because Jordan Palmer is credited in Josh Allen's development and many many other quarterbacks along the way. Um, and really like cleaning those mechanics up, which I think, you know, when you have a, a ball of clay like that, um, you know, gets really exciting. Now, here, like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> My whole perspective on quarterbacks changed dramatically as as I looked back on past years classes where, you know, the Baker Mayfields and the Sam Darnolds of the world got drafted really high. 
Mm-hmm. And then the Josh Allens or the Lamar Jacksons got drafted later. And and my reflection, um, and you know, that that's what I appreciate about you as much as we're gonna disagree about Levis, is we both go back and like review our process at the end and say, like, this was bad, I screwed up here, <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah. this was good. And so like uh-huh. what what's the pattern there? And for me, where I was favoring like safe quarterbacks. Mm short term that usually turns out really well right we we thought baker mayfield was playing fantastic uh for the first three years of his tenure in in cleveland sam darnold maybe not so much but like (laughs) he had at least like half a season with the jets that looked pretty good sure but then it was these guys who looked bad early not lamar 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 has been what Lamar is. He's a fantastic runner and he's fine enough as a thrower to, you know, uh, work alongside of his like generational running ability. But Josh Allen looked terrible early. And uh, even when he finally got in as a starter, like made some just bizarre decisions and we're like, oh, same old Josh Allen. That's what you saw at Wyoming. He's never going to be any good. Eventually the tools won out. So we don't have that like insight into are these guys hard workers? Have they gotten coaching and ignored it? Or have they just not had the opportunity to get coaching? How are they going to respond when they get the good coaching? I think all of those things are really important. And it just makes me want to bet on a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson a little mm-hmm. bit more than the safer guys. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I really like Bryce Young. I, there's a right, one point right. difference between the two so like i'm not i'm not you know shaming yeah. uh bryce young i think i think he's he's gonna be really good too he's just a different style of quarterback and mm-hmm. i i i've i've leaned into those high upsides more and more as i've you know evaluated quarterbacks over the year oh and i re- i'm really glad that you shared that because I, I we talked about that a little bit earlier in the process as we've started this off season and i think that that's a really good self-reflection because i've done the same thing like take the safe bet and i really like stroud this cycle but i kind of wonder if that's kind of where that is um i actually really like um uh wow (laughs) the florida quarterback that you just said anthony richardson Richardson. actually so he's the one who actually captured my attention watching these quarterbacks yeah i kind of walked watched uh, levis and richardson close together and for me i saw the trajectory for Richardson to kind of be that superstar a little bit easier than I saw Levis just because I think the rushing ability is better. I feel the movement is a little bit more natural, the athleticism. So for me, I just bought into the the other player, Um, but I have the same grade on Stroud and as I have on Richardson right now, um, they're probably going to be, you know, I don't know where, where uh, Bryce love is Bryce love Bryce, Bryce young. There it is. Bryce loves a running back. Is that is that what yeah, from yeah, Stanford? Wow, we gotta we gotta end this show. But anyway, um, Bryce Young is probably gonna stack in there somewhere. But it's gonna be interesting for me to see how do I how do I distinct distinguish between those two players, right? Am I gonna go with Stroud, who's probably the safer prospect, or do you roll the dice on someone like Anthony Richardson, who could be you know 
that guy who can play like Hertz, who can, you know, just be a dynamic athlete for your offense. So I think that that's a really interesting piece of this and trying to discern who those players are and to take the take the risk. And these guys that are GMs, they, they, they want to hit the home run because their job is probably not going to be saved by the guy who ends up being Jared Goff. It's going to be the guy who ends up being Jalen Hurts. So it's a really interesting process. And I'm glad that you mentioned kind of that adjustment that you've made as you've gone through this process. Yeah, it, it's it just one random note here. I It was back in like August or September, but there was a draft analyst that I really respect who described Anthony Richardson as Jordan Love with a rocket strapped to his back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's got some fun athletic ability. Yeah, he does. He really does. It's scary kind of like when he takes off, but... Um... Levis, though, I mean, the the interviews, uh, just go check those out like when you have some fun because he's going to be a guy that these teams are going to fall in love with. And it's it's one of those guys that you bet on. You're like, he is not going to fail like against his will. Like he's going to be the guy who tries everything to make it work. So that gives you one more reason to be like, I, I'm on a bet a little bit on this guy and see where he goes. So it'll be fun to see where he lands and what team has a chance to develop him. Yeah, and as always, no matter how good or bad you think a quarterback is, what team drafts them matters so incredibly much. Yes. Because, you know, like there's always the old, oh, what if the Bears had drafted Mahomes? Now, do we think Mahomes was going to turn into a bad quarterback? I don't know. Probably not. But I don't think he would be as good as, you know, the generational quarterback that he is now. Right. And so, you know, that atmosphere you go into, what's the coaching like? Are you going to have consistency in the front office and coaching staff? Is the locker room a good situation to go into? Are you going to have a good offensive line early? Are you going to have weapons around you? All of those things make it a lot easier, right? Like you get drafted by the Seahawks. That probably is going to be a better position than if you get drafted by the Texans, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so the Seahawks might draft the third or fourth quarterback, Texans might take the first and we might very early say, oh, wow, how could you pass on, you know, Will Levis, for instance. Mm. But he, you know, meanwhile, Bryce Young might actually be the better player and might be struggling because of the surroundings that he has. And so I think I think a couple things there. One, probably better to rank these quarterbacks after they've been drafted. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, based on the the situation that they're going into. And then, you know, I think also just keeping in mind, it takes some time for these players to develop uh, and and not trying to jump in and and evaluate if we did a good job in a year, but maybe in three. Well, and ideally, I think we would probably agree that all of these guys, we're talking about four potential first round quarterbacks, they all sit, right? Ideally, they get, a season, maybe a half a season at least, to kind of wrap their mind around where they're at, get settled in, get comfortable. But Stroud and Bryce Young may, I don't want to say thrive, but they may find success early on just because mm-hmm. of their environments. And those guys. I just, it would be such a frustration to watch a team pick Richardson or to pick Levis and stick them in immediately week one and expect them to have success. I just think that that would be so discouraging just because of 
where you know that they are. And if you're being honest in your evaluation of you might have gotten a great, you know, top 10 quarterback, but you putting him in week one is just going to be a disaster. So that's my hope is, I mean, I'm rooting for Levis. It's not that I don't like the guy. I just hope that both he and Richardson get an opportunity to go somewhere and sit for maybe a full year and learn and, and, you know, really get a lot better before they have to go out there and prove it on the field. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's really well stated, even though I greatly dislike you now for disagreeing <laughs> with me. And you're an but idiot, that, so. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, so, uh, great conversation today. I, I really like this. We'll we'll come up with uh, something creative for next week, and we'll, we'll be talking prospects for a long time until April. Uh, but that is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Please subscribe and give us a rating if you like what we're doing. We would really appreciate it. It's the best way to help us out. Keep us going all through the offseason. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. Next week, we'll be back with more offseason conversation. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.